0: Well, good morning. good morning. We and my wife and a group of us just came back from Israel, and in, in the morning of Israel, they would say, Boca Hatov, and your response would be? <laughs> that was close. Boca or would be re, the, the, the general response. But if you're like me and you can't speak Hebrew, you're not smart like Jeremy, you just say, Shalom. So, shalom, everybody. We're so grateful to be back. We are blessed to make it back, but we were even blessed beyond belief to get there. And just a couple of things that happened as we were there. My wife got told to go into this secret room right when we first got there. She was the only one in Israel to put into this secret room, and there was somebody bleeding and a curse and crying, and my poor wife. So, she made it. She made it back. And uh, on the way back, we got pulled over by the... uh, um, the agricultural police bringing back legal stuff. Legal stuff, by the way. So it was an interesting trip. And uh, you know, one of the things I want to share a little bit. I want to do a little bit of video. Uh, I mean, a little bit of just kind of a PowerPoint of what happened. And we've got so many things that happened. And if you want to go to our Facebook, my Facebook, uh, I'll, I'll accept you if you're if you got a good Facebook. If not, I'm going to deny you. But uh, um. Me and my wife got to stay in this beautiful room on the 12th floor of the Ramada Renaissance. And on the last day, I was just kind of bummed because it went by and we had these great experiences. So I just started taking pictures and praying and we were getting ready to eat. And and, and I I posted one on Facebook. But here's a picture of of the sunset or the sunrise. I guess it feels like the sunset. But uh, you got to go back. Go back to the beginning. There's a sunset. And anyways, the, the first sunset picture, if you've seen my Facebook, it has a picture of the cross. And, and it's just this beautiful sunset where I, I was just sitting there and I, I took the picture, didn't even see it until I looked. And then I took like four or five more and it was the same thing across. And it just felt like God was smiling down upon our group and just saying... I love you, and I'm thankful that you made that pilgrimage to go to Israel and learn more about what I did, where I walked, and how I lived my life. And I I think that was a great testimony. Some of the things that we did on this trip, we got up early. I don't know if you guys know me, but I'm about an 8.30 in the morning kind of guy. That's good sleeping for some of you. Um, But here we're up at like 4 or 5. We're eating breakfast early, and we're going all day. And so there's a bunch of sunset pictures. We got an opportunity to bat four people from the first time at Journey. Dave and Sharon and Letty and, and Josh. For the first time in the Jordan River, could you believe it? And at, the, at one of the baptism points of Dave and Sharon and Le, Josh and Letty, a bunch of doves came over. And it was amazing. And the water was freezing, but when you went underneath in the Jordan River, it got super warm. It just covered you. I mean, it was one of the most uh, amazing and spiritual experiences that we got. But to have four people for the first time baptized was pretty special. And then a group of them held me down for about three minutes. And uh, I was giving them the international I need up kind of sign, but they didn't do that. We also went on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked and did a bunch of ministry. And probably one of our favorite times was on this boat because we were worshiping, we were celebrating. And uh, a bunch of churches together singing songs and just listening to uh, Jesus about what he did on the water was pretty special. A couple more pictures. This is my buddy Paul. I don't know if you guys all know Paul. But there's a place where Peter gets reinstated back to Christ. On the shore, Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And basically, Jesus reiterates, uh, reinstates Paul or uh, Peter to be the leader. Well, Paul hears about the story and just gets on his knees and starts praying, wanting to be connected to God and reinstate him as well. So it's a pretty special uh, moment with Paul. This is Golgotha. I don't know if you guys know Golgotha. This is Skull Hill. And if you get the right picture, now you won't really believe this, but right underneath this is a bus parking lot. The place where Jesus is buried, another religion has taken it and made it a parking lot for buses. And it's noisy and loud. And if, if I took the right picture, you would see. But that's where Jesus was buried. And if you took the right picture, it looks like a skull. And here's the burial tomb that Jesus was actually buried in. Pretty special. Had a great moment in there in a couple of weeks. I'll share a little bit about what God was there. Here's the picture of Israel. And that's my parents and Ed and Nita. And here's the last group picture, Um, and you see just the iconic picture of Israel. We went with 38 people in a bus. We shared with another church, and just pretty amazing and special time. So God did great work, and we actually had the opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. And as a pastor, I was intimidated. I'll tell you right now, I told my buddy Eric, I was scared to go because they wanted me to teach and preach in areas where Jesus was. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And my first two messages were horrendous because I was so nervous. But at one point, I could feel the power of God on the steps of the temple where Peter spoke boldly. And all of a sudden, people around us were listening because God started speaking. It was pretty special and pretty amazing. And hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll get to a point where we're going to uh, invite you guys to come. I know there's about six or eight people have already said they're going to go and we'd love for another group to go and really celebrate. If that's you, we'd love for you to join us on a pilgrimage. I know the staff and a couple of us are going to go back and just kind of experience what God had for us. Now, last, uh, last week, Jeremy started this series called Love Matters. And, and love does matter, but he talked about uh, black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, and I found one really controversial, so if you're, if you're offended by this stuff, hold it back. <laughs> black Labs Matter and, and, and White Labs Matter, so wherever you sit on that point, just know that they're, they're, they matter. And uh, I thought that was funny. I wanted to break down the monotony of the whole black lives. But beyond that, as we were in Israel, I want you guys to know that we loved the world one person at a time. That place wasn't always peaceful and friendly, but you should be blessed to know that our group and even the other church that we went to, we loved that place, even when they were unlovable. And that's what we're going to talk about, love and, and love matters. Now, I didn't do this in first service, but I want you guys to know at the end of today's service... We're going to play one of the, my favorite songs, especially with Jeremy. McKinsey used to sing this at, when I was a youth pastor. And, 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 and it's how he loves us. And, and, and I want us as a church to really build to that moment. Knowing that God loves us so much and how he loves us. And I think Jeremy kind of quoted this, that he loves us like this sloppy wet kiss, like one of those labs licking you. You ever had a dog kiss you in a way that you didn't want to be kissed? <laughs> Sometimes God loves us that way. So hopefully, at the end, when that song comes, we will all be worshiping and celebrating the love that God has for us. There's this. There's this gentleman. His name's Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. That's a lot of words. And he writes this quote. And think about this quote on the things that you love. We are shaped and fashioned by what we love. Some of us love food, and so you get a beautiful shape like this. Some of us don't love food and you do terrible things to your body by getting thin. Uh, Some of us love hiking and biking and all kinds of activities. Those things shape us. My my brother-in-law, Ed, loves basketball to the point where his knee won't work, but he'll still play. His buddy next to him, Mike, refuses to play because his knee won't work and he doesn't want to kill himself. But we shape ourselves by what we love. We also shape ourselves with unhealthy loves as well drinking, partying, addiction, pornography. if that stuff controls us, it shapes us and limits how we love the world because we're allowing unhealthy things come into our life. We are shaped and fashioned by our love and I want you to think about God how he loves you and how he wants to shape you. He wants to bring you to the, bring you into the fold and shape you so that you can be loved but also love other people in this world and that's where we come to our memory verse mark 12 30 and 31 Uh, jeremy set it up last week and this verse is the 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 cornerstone of this church i remember uh several years ago when we were in a backyard with a handful of people and i remember jeremy and madison and and my wife and jeff foss and just a a bunch of us praying and this was the verse that spoke and it says this is how we are to live our life and this is the type of christians we want to be and, and, it comes, and, it's, and, and it comes from Jesus' red-letter words. If you have a Bible that has red letters, these words would be red-letter words. And it says, listen, O Israel. And I'll, and I'll jump back to that in just a second. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Powerful, powerful statement. And then verse 30 says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And secondly, and it says, equally important. What does that mean? It means it's equally important. Pretty good teaching right there. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, I've I've had the opportunity many times to talk about this verse. And always include yourself. Next week we're going to talk about as yourself. And then the last part of it says, No other commandment are greater than these. These are great commandments, and this is how we're supposed to live our life. Now, let me jump back. Jesus, when he quotes these red-letter words, he's speaking to... It would be like us, me talking to, to law, to like a Pepperdine or USC or UCLA law professor this This great law uh, Jewish law professor is is talking to Jesus, and Jesus has just blown his mind by what he says and how he 's teaching and the, and the teacher's like, what he said was so good, I want to ask him more questions because i 've never heard such powerful godly teaching right and so he goes. Um, Rabbi, what do you think about which one are the greatest commandments then? You know the Ten Commandments. You know the 613 Levitical laws. Which are the greatest commandments? And Jesus then responds, Listen, or some of your texts said, Hear, O Israel. Now, for us, it doesn't make any sense. Hear, O Israel. Well, we're in Camarillo, so what do I want to hear, O Israel? Well, Jesus was responding to a person that knows Judaism and Jewish law uh, to the umpth degree. And what Jesus is quoting, he's quoting what this th- this thing we call is a Shema. It's a prayer. It's a morning and afternoon Jewish prayer. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. But this prayer goes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7. It's Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers 15. And they recite these prayers in the morning and in the evening, we happened to, to run upon uh, one of these mornings as we were going into the temple dome, one of these prayers. I think I have a picture as we're watching these people reciting these shemas. They're reading scrolls and reciting these prayers. And Jesus responds to this person saying, listen, I know who you are and I'm going to give you back some, uh, some places of, of, of intellect from your own religion. So he's trying to grab a hold of this man by knowing, hey, I understand you, and I'm going to tell you exactly a prayer that you probably said this morning. And then he says, you must love the Lord your God, the one and only. That's what you're supposed to do. But the difference between the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and what Jesus says, Jesus, as he always does, he adds a little bit more. Here's what the, the Shema prayer says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. But Jesus says, listen, this is what I want to add to it. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes my mind gets a little squirrely. And Jesus comes in and says... I need to add this because our mind is something that needs to be uh, in self-control. We need to find this place of self-control, and it starts with our mind. So God's saying, not only with all your heart, strength, and soul, but include the mind. So this was a pretty amazing thing that we got, we got to be a part of, watching these uh, um, Orthodox Jewish people and unorthodox come in and make these prayers. And we went up to the wall, and I put a prayer for all of you, Uh, in the wall. And I put one in. This was really embarrassing because there's all kinds of prayers in the prayer wall. And I put one in and like 40 dropped. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm in trouble. And then I kind of moved over a little bit like this. And so I'm praying, but our prayers are over there, but I didn't want to be the bad guy that dropped all the prayers. I don't know what to do. I've never been there before. So those prayers probably weren't answered. So your guys is as good. I stuck it way in the back. So Today we're going to read from, um, from Romans chapter 13 and it's basically talking about love and the, the laws and regulations of love and how God loves us and how he works in our life. So if you would like to stand, great, we're going to read from the text and if you don't want to stand but you just want to open up your heart to God, let's do that right now. We do this to continue to worship our Father in heaven and, and, and to really celebrate him in our lives. Romans 13, verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the, law, the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet.' These and the other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirement of God's law. Now, as I pray, I hope you pray, and you ask that you will get a specific, personal, uh, relatable word from God. Today, we're going to talk about loving others. Now, I'm sure you've heard, if you've been a Christian for years, hundreds of messages, if not... Many messages about loving others, but you could ask God to pray a specific word so that you can grab a hold of something maybe that you've never heard or you've heard before, but you want to start living it out. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for our congregation. I pray for me. I'm so thankful for who you are. I pray as we come together as a body, I pray that you will allow us to be integral parts, loving people correctly in powerful ways. Lord, we are for you, and we want the best for you and your kingdom. Speak to us so that we can love people correctly in the way that you want us to be loved. In Jesus' name, When all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, the book of Romans is an, a pretty amazing book. Anybody like the book of Romans? I've got a couple of friends, McKinsey and, and Tani, a couple of friends of mine that I've had. I'd, we, we, me and Jeremy and stuff, we always ask, where are you reading? And for years, they're all a book of Romans still. It's like been years in the book of Romans. I'm like, mm. there's 65 other books. I mean, you could switch it every once in a while. But the book of Romans is a powerful, amazing book. It's a little confusing at times. In Romans 7, 7, 17 and 18, it's, you know, I know what I do and I don't want to do all that stuff. For a dyslexic guy, I can't even get it. I got to have someone else read it because I'm a little dyslexic. But the book of Romans is a powerful book, but it's a little bit confusing. And so sometimes we need help reading through it with other people and hearing some commentary. Now, what is the purpose of the book of Romans? Why did Paul write the book of Romans? Well, it's interesting. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans because he was trying to encourage them and give them great doctrine and let them know what salvation is really about because Paul had never been to Rome yet. But there was a church that birthed out of one of his church plants and they, they needed to hear the truth about who Jesus was. So he's writing this letter and in this letter he's talking about Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Here's the doctrine that we need to have. Here's how you need to follow. And he gives all this information in this book and he's saying someday I'm going to get there. And he does, but in a, in a different way than I thought he, he thinks he originally was going to get there. So he's writing this book to include them into the church. It'd be like us receiving a letter from Paul saying, you know what, even though Journey's this rogue church in the Pleasant Valley area, we're going to accept you into the Christian church, and here's how you should teach. That's what he's writing in the book of Romans. So it's a pretty, pretty amazing book. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the book of Romans is if you do read it and you get stuck in it and you read it for uh, for a time, you will find that it could really transform your life. It can take an average person. Anybody feel average Sometimes somebody went like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> I do. When I left to Israel, I felt very in, uh, overwhelmed. And I was telling my wife, I was telling my buddy Eric, I'm like, how would, you, how would I teach in the same places that Jesus taught? It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like I should go there. I should sit back and I just wanted to be a tourist. But sometimes average people can do great things for God. And that's what we see in the book of Romans. A couple of great people in the book of Romans have done great, uh, or studied the book of Romans, have become great people and great theologians. The funny thing about Romans is it still can transform lives today, as it did back then and as it did five or 600 years ago. There's this guy named Martin Luther, not King Jr., the one that was in our era, but Martin Luther many years ago, has quoted in his own journals and some of his own studying that the book of Romans transformed his life. He was coming to a place at at the time where the church was being controlled by government and it was out controlling people. And Martin Luther was a reformist. And he took the book of Romans and started to read it and dissect it and it radically changed the way that he celebrates, celebrated Christ and it became a great reform, uh, reformation movement in the church breaking away from this old church behavior and into a new place. Some of that we celebrate here today. So it took this guy, Romans took this guy, Martin Luther and it made this reformation movement. Also another person, a guy named John Wesley... He was transformed and changed a couple hundred years later when he read Martin Luther's study and commentary on the book of Romans. And this John Wesley came to America and he, uh, he radically transforms uh, some churches and he creates this Methodist movement. Many of us know some people that are Methodists or know some of the Methodist churches. So some average people study the book of Romans and it radically transforms their life. The book of Romans in chapter 13 talks about respecting authority. And I know we all don't respect authority and don't understand it, but that's, what's, that's what Paul is writing in chapter 13 until we get to this place about love. Now, what basically Paul is trying to tell us here is, is if we love God, we will experience His love from within. Well, some of us don't get that. But let me say it again. If we love God, we have an opportunity... ...to experience it within. Sometimes we don't experience that... ...because there's something blocking us... ...or holding us back. Hopefully by the end of today's message... ...when we sing how He loves you... ...you will be able to experience Him. Maybe come up be front... ...get on your hands and knees... ...maybe come to the altar... ...maybe go to the people that are praying... ...but truly try and experience God's love. If we love God... ...we can experience Him within... ...and if we can experience Him within... ...we have the opportunity to express that love... ...to other people. I receive His love... And then I have an opportunity to affect other people. I receive from heaven so that I can give heaven to people around me. That's what God wants to do. And that's what Paul is trying to reiterate here. He's saying that if, uh, if we love God and we live by his rules, we will have a beautiful relationship with him. Do you know we are, we are shaped by our relationships? People can tell how you are by the way that you relate to other people. Your neighbors, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad. That's how we are judged. That's how we will be judged. How we love other people as we get to those pearly gates one day. When we love God, his love enables you. It unlocks something inside of you. It enables you to then go out and love other people. It's like your phone, you get to a place and you're like, oh, for you to enable this place or application in your phone, you have to do some things and then you can open it up and use this app on your phone. Well, God's the same way. He's trying to open up an app inside of you so that you can be enabled to love people correctly. And what I learned early on, and I learned this in my recovery from drugs and alcohol, I can't love anybody else until I first understand and learn to be loved myself. I, I I can't love my wife. I can't love my kids. I can't love my parents until I first learn to receive love, and it's not just from a human being, but from God. And then I have the the ability to love other people. And trust me, I still have a long way to go to love correctly. But I'm trying, and you should as well, so that we can be like Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get to us in in this cha- in chapter thirteen, verses eight, nine, and ten. Now, Paul quotes in this small few verses, he quotes uh, Levitical law, and he quotes the Ten Commandments. In this little verse, he quotes the Levitical law and the Ten Commandments. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, does this stuff from the Old Testament several thousand years ago apply to me today? Most would say, yeah, but hey, this is old Jewish Levitical law stuff, and I'm a... Christian that's, that lives in the New Testament, and I've been blessed because of the New Testament, does this stuff really affect me, or, uh, or should I kind of get a free pass and move away from this? That's, that's a question that we should ask. Let's look at what um, Jesus is referring to in the Levitical Law, 19 verse 18, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. 18, it says this, and this is kind of the foundation of some of our verses today. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then it's kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. I am the Lord your God. It would be like a signet ring being pressed in and saying, I am the Lord. And then the beginning of the next verse says, keep my decrees. I just told you something. And then he's kind of going, hey, people, would you keep my decrees so that we can all live a better life and have this happy world that... We all are holding hands and sharing a Coca-Cola together. You remember that commercial? Yeah, anyways, I do. So let me ask you the question again. Do Christians today need to, find, need to be defined or follow Jewish law from 7,000 years ago, several thousand years ago? Are these old laws and this Old Testament God for us, or do we get a free pass from this? And what is Jesus' response to this? What is his work? Well, I've even caught myself saying that there's two parts to the Bible, an Old Testament and a New Testament. You have a God that's teaching us character in the Old Testament, and you've got God teaching us his love in the New Testament. But the truth is, that might be bad theology or just kind of uh, weak theology. The truth is, God is just as loving in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. There's just as much grace and mercy in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. There's just as many healings and, 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 and um, redemptions in the Old Testament that there is in the New Testament. It's the same God, both old and new, and He wants to do a work in all of us back then and today. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus comes to, uh, to, um, into ministry. He's been tempted. He's been baptized in the Jordan River like we were. And then he gets tempted for 40 days. And in chapter 5 of Matthew, he teaches from the Sermon on the Mount. And I got a picture of the Sermon on the Mount. Our our group, I think day 2, went to go to the Sermon on the Mount. And we went to this church called the Mount of Beatitudes. And it's this beautiful structure. And right below this is where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And all throughout this place, they've got these Beatitudes on plaques. And someday soon, we'll get some, some pictures out. There was 38 people, and I bet you we took like... 55,000 pictures. One lady said her camera had 4,000 pictures and she had two or three cameras, so she must have had 15,000 herself. But this actual church was built in 1939 by the Franciscan sisters and it was donated by Mussolini. I don't know if you guys know Mussolini, but he started out being good and turned real bad. But since Hitler was around, he actually, looked got a pass. But he wasn't a very nice guy. But Mussolini and these Franciscan sisters created this. Now, this place has unbelievable acoustics in it. And my buddy Ed, we all sang the doxology and, and some pretty crazy place. But this is the place where Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount. And after Jesus gives us the Beatitudes, these eight behaviors and characteristics that we need to have as a Christian, he comes to us and says in Matthew five seventeen, he says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus knows scripture. Praise God. Do you? Jesus knows scripture and part of his plan was to come to this earth, to this world, born as a baby in, the, in Bethlehem, a place that we got to see and touch and see the manger. And... He came to this world to fulfill all that was written about him in the Old Testament and all that was talked about him through the prophets. That was one of his jobs. And he says, I have not come to abolish any of the old laws. He came to bring a revolution to this world, but not like our revolution or our, our, our war against England where we became our own country. He came to give a spiritual revolution to change the way that we worship God. And he says, I came to fulfill the laws, but I also came to add something to you. Now, here's what I mean. When I went to Israel with a bunch of people, I would read something about like the Jezreel Valley or the Kerdon Valley or uh, some of these things that when you read them, you're like, oh, that's cool. I I I know Pleasant Valley and I know the grade. Never go up the grade, by the way. Never go up the grade. But I would read it, but when I got to see some of this stuff, it came to me in a 3D or 4D way, right? Well, Jesus did the same thing for us as individuals. God said, I need to show the people how much I love them and explain to them a little bit more about what my words say. And that's what Jesus did. When he came on earth, he explains things and and enhances them. And here he's enhancing them. He says, I've came to fulfill, but I've also came to give you a deeper understanding. Of what I'm really trying to say. And you'll see that as it unfolds today. About loving your neighbor. And a little bit later on, on the Sermon on the Mount. In, in, in Matthew uh, 7 verse 12. He says this. And this is the golden rule. It says. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Some of you know it is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? And he says. This is the essence that is taught in the laws and in the prophets. What does that mean? If there was one piece of scripture, if we were going to lose our Bibles a day, or if there was one piece of scripture that we would have, and it was just going to be one little sentence, he says, this is the essence. That's what the, the text is all about. This is the golden rule, the golden law. This is the golden standard on how civilization should live and work, and, and work with other people. This is the golden raw, the golden law. And this is what's taught, and this is the essence. It's really what it would be boiled down to. You ever get that perfume stuff that's like 400 times stronger? Well, that's what this is. It's boiled down, and it'd be, you know, super strong. That's what God is trying to do. And what He's saying to us in our text in Romans is, He's saying love fulfills God's requirements. Or, love fulfills fulfills god's law god sent us laws and love fulfills those laws or requirements now what is a law is it something that we should follow what's the purpose of the law or what is a requirement right in church is it required and i want to hear from you do we need to read the bible to come to church no do you need to even call yourself a christian to come to church Is there a law that you need to come to church and give money? Yes. I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not at this church. Not at this church. The point is this. There's no real rules or laws that hold us back from coming to church and hearing what these knucklehead Christians or these crazy Christians are trying to say. Rules and laws are meant for us and it's a choice for us. Our society thrives because of rules and laws, because it makes us a better place. The United States, because of its infrastructure and all its rules and laws, makes this place a great place to live. I don't know if anybody's ever been maybe to like Asia or or, or China, they don't have streetlights. It's a nightmare. You've never seen anything like that. Cars going sideways and you're stuck in a traffic jam because everybody's uh, uh, Tetris themselves in and we can't move. But because we have lights and we have followed the the laws, this world is a better place. This country is a better place. That's what rules and laws do. We also have laws on how we should treat other people. Here's what it says. I pulled this from the Constitution. It says, human rights in the United States comprise a series of rights which are legally protected by the Constitution. We have laws because of this golden rule. We have good Samaritan laws. My wife's a nurse. She took an oath as being a nurse, right, that if you drive by and there's an accident, you're supposed to what? You're supposed to stop, but these girls never stop. I've seen it. My wife's like, oh, somebody else stopped. I don't need to stop, you know. But there's laws and there's these good Samaritan laws and we are supposed to love other people. That is not, that's kind of true, but not that much true. I'm on my way to Outback. I'm not stopping right now. We're getting, if there's, no, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about me. That's going to not go over well. Happy Valentine's, Liz. whole trip of Israel just shot right down in one verse. Sorry, Liz, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about those girls right there. Why do I do that? So let's get back to getting digging myself out of this hole. Um, how do we live a life for Christ and how do we b- benefit the world by that? Well, in in Romans chapter 13, verses 8, here's what it says. He says, Owe nothing to anybody. What does that mean? Anybody? It means don't owe anybody anything. Now, obviously, all of us have bills. I was thinking about this today. Even if I own my house, which I don't, uh, or I haven't paid it off or anything... I still have bills, I still got to pay the water, the trash, I'm always going to owe. But basically what it's saying is, have you ever, anybody, you can raise your hand, Does anybody ever have a friend that always has borrowed money and never pays you back? Hopefully they're not next to you right now. But if they are, just put your finger up like this and we'll know that they're there. But he's basically saying when you have somebody that's always owes you money, they're not fun to be around, right? You kind of get resentful. Owe nothing to anybody except for your obligation to love one another. God's saying, listen, I don't really care about you having debt. The only thing I want from you as a person in this world is the obligation to love one another. This will make you a free person. When you follow this decree or this law by God, this will make you a free person. You will have freedom in your life. Because you won't have someone in your mind holding you back and allowing resentments to take over your life. You have an opportunity as Christians to follow God's decree, follow God's rules or not. I was talking to my daughter last night as we were eating uh, dinner. And I was asking her, do you need to follow the laws of God? And she goes, no. And I said, why? And she goes, because it's not required. There's no Bible police, right? If, if there was Bible police, it would be Jeremy Case. He would go to your house on Tuesday morning and knock on, have you devoted today? Have you said your prayers? And you owe me 15 bucks for gas, right? You know, we don't have Bible police. The truth is the world would be a better place if we had Bible police because you guys would probably be better to But the truth is there's no real rule because you have unlimited freedom, especially in this country to follow God or not follow God. And that's the beauty of it. You choose to come to church or don't come to church. You choose to follow His laws or don't follow. That's freedom. But the flip side of that is God chooses to bless you or maybe not bless you. And sometimes He blesses people and you're like, why are you still blessing that fool? Not here, not you guys, but other people. (laughs) My experience with God's blessing... My family and one of the blessings is going to Israel was the closer I've gotten to follow his decrees and even not being perfect. David wasn't a perfect man, but trying to be repenting uh, my sin and coming back to the heart of God. He blesses me. And because of that, we get to experience so much more. And that's what God is trying to teach us. Our life is to be an offering to God and all he requires is love. It's your choice to follow God or not. It's your choice to live in freedom. Freedom is not doing whatever you want because you have no rules and laying, at, laying in, in, at home all day and playing Xbox. Freedom is actually following the rules that you choose to follow, right? That's what true freedom is. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the cri- requirements of God's law. And Jesus affirmed that and says, Amen, Hallelujah, this is what I really want you to do. I want you to follow God's laws and be a part of what he's doing. His brother James in James 2.8 says, listen, if you, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing it right. If you really do this, you're doing it right. James was a guy that didn't believe Jesus while he was on earth, but when Jesus came back, James understood who he was. And now he's saying, this is a royal golden standard piece of Scripture, and if you follow it, you're doing it right. Now, as we went to Israel, this is an interesting place because they weren't very loving. They were tolerant, but tolerance is not love, right? Tolerance is not love. There was uh, Jewish, Muslims, and Christians. 76% were Jewish, 17% Muslim, and sadly, 2% Christian. One of the things that we found out was you don't ask what you believe. In America, you go, oh, what do you believe? Oh, I believe in... Karma, Dharma, Buddhism, you know, Mormonism. You can believe whatever you want and nobody really cares. They'll go, huh, that's what they believe. And you, you, but here, it was against the rules in Israel to ask what you believe because there was so much tension and people are tolerating each other. They're not really opened up to hearing about other people's walk. They just didn't want to get into a fist fight or a knife fight or a gun battle. It was interesting. There was a bunch of people carrying guns, Some people that I wouldn't want to be carrying guns. You look at our relevant group back there, some of our high schools. They're high school students walking around with guns, and they were part of the military. I'm like, I don't know, but I mean, there's just random people. We're eating at this restaurant, and there's three teenagers with guns pointing at our place, at our section. I'm like, this is a little scary, you know? Get some adults that got a license, but this was a little scary, but... There was a moment, and I, I need to kind of speed this up or we'll be here till 3 and miss out on the bike ride. But we were walking into this dome rock, and it was a Palestinian-run dome rock. And under this rock is supposed to be the rock of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac and at the altar. And it's also supposed to be the temple of the holiest of holies is underneath this. The Muslim said, hey, we're going to build on top of it because if it's about Abraham, Abraham sent Ishmael and Isaac, and we're part of Ishmael's clue. So they built this, and this is the most iconic place. As we come into this place, our guide is telling us, don't laugh, don't smile, don't bring your Bible, don't bring any money, don't touch anybody, don't have anything that says Jesus, don't pray. You couldn't do anything. And my wife was talking to Rich. Rich was a 94-year-old guy that went, and she's telling Rich all these rules, and Rich looks at her and says, what, you want me to be invisible? And that's what they wanted. That's not very loving. This place is struggling because people are tolerating each other. But tolerating is, I can tolerate you for about another three minutes and and then I'm going to break, right? And that's what happens quite a bit there. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr., a different Martin Luther, says. Hate paralyzes life, love releases it. Hate confuses life, love harmonizes it. I lost it. Hatred darkens life and love illuminates it. That's what we're to try and do in life. Hate paralyzes, love releases. Hate confuses, love harmonizes, love illuminates. But we too often live in hatred and God wants to change that. Now Jesus came on the Sermon on the Mount and he started preaching revolutionary type thinking. And he was going to revolutionize this world, not through a battle like us against England to separate, but he was going to do it from within our heart. And he does it in another piece of scripture at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, it's Matthew four forty three to 48. It says, You have heard it said love, said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good. Sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who you love, what reward will you get? Aren't tax collectors, tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? And then he says, go back to that do unto others thing. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to invite the band back up. As we get ready to worship. Jesus comes to speak to your heart. Back then and today. He says, I want to give you revolutionary thinking. I want you to think about a way of life that will transform you. So that you can be a better person. Not better so that everybody can pat you on the back. But better so that you can go to sleep at night. And that you can be resent-free instead of resentful. That you can be the best possible you instead of a, a limited aspect of who you are. He says, I want you to not just love your neighbors, but love your enemies. And that's hard to do. But it's possible. And it's only possible through God's will and God's love. Martin Luther King also writes this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. It can Only light can do that. Hate hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. We need to learn to be lovers of people in this world so that this world will have a better testimony of who Christians are. Christians are to rise above, turn the other cheek, do things better, and, and be what we would consider meek to the world. But meek is not weak. It's meek. And it's a great testimony to who Christ is. Paul continues in Romans... Uh, 8b verses 9 through 9 it says if you love your neighbor you will fulfill the requirements of God's law if you love your neighbor you're fulfilling these requirements these things that God has for us it says for the commandments say you must not commit adultery love your neighbor you must not murder love your neighbor you must not steal love your neighbor you must not covet love your neighbor and then it says These and other commandments are summed up by this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the requirement and your obligation. Christian or non-Christian, your job in this world is to owe nothing to anybody and love others as yourself. Think about how much love you put into yourself today. Anybody showered? Oh, don't raise your hand because it's in case the person next to you didn't. How much work did you put in today? Even if you threw yourself together, you still put in a lot of time. If we did that with other people, how much greater would this world be? These are Old Testament laws. But Jesus brings a New Testament touch to them and adds to them and challenges you to follow me. Follow me in the way that I love. Jesus came and had oppression and he had conflict and he had issues. And He still loved people even when they were against Him. Spitting in His face. Telling them He was a criminal and a liar. If we follow the rules, there's freedom within the structure that is provided for us. Just like America has freedom with the structure it's provided, if you follow what God wants, there's freedom in the structure that He has provided Let that be part of your life and develop yourself. Live within the structure that God gives so that you can be a blessing. Galatians 5.14 says this. For the entire law is fulfilled by keeping this one command. love Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire book can be boiled down into these few verses. These few words. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God wants. Live a life as an offering to God. Pour yourself out so that you can be an offering to God. He takes 10 commandments and boils them into one. He takes 613 laws and boils them into one. All I want you to do is love God and love others and you will have a blessed life if you live within the structure that God has given. Love is hard. It's not easy. But it's a privilege that we get from God. And we can only love others and our enemies when we enact the power of God in our heart. And then he enables us to love the people even when they're unlovable. Verse 10 says this, Love does not wrong, love does, not, does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirement of God's law. We don't ever wrong anybody when we're loving them. And sometimes love is tough love. But it's still love. And it works You know what When we were in Israel Everybody wasn't loving to us They don't really care about Christians They don't really care about We're on this holy pilgrimage They didn't care if we were Want to celebrate Jesus For the most part There were certain areas Where they didn't really want us to be there Unless we were going to spend money but I want to tell you this. The best thing about this trip was not going to where Jesus was buried or where he resurrected or where he taught. That was great. But the best thing that happened is how we loved that place. There were moments where our church was loving people in great and powerful ways. Here's a couple of pictures. Rich, 90-year-old, 90, 90 Mila goes to first service. And she was walking with this man, making sure that He wandered all the time We got to find this guy He was an amazing guy He was like James Bond He would sneak away And we'd be like On a rich hunt for this guy He's usually with women With a bottle of wine But that was another thing But our group was loving Our church and other people Our our tour guide said this Her name was Bernice A little feisty uh, Jewish lady Said I don't even know Who goes the journey And who's part of this other church She goes you guys are so loving I would never know because, you know, this doesn't happen. Everybody, usually when there's two churches, one, one church is dominant and the other one's not or whatever. But she goes, you guys are amazing. I've never been in a group like this. I just want you to know that you were well-respected and well-represented. And we have took this mission of loving people correctly. And the last couple pictures are, are, are uh, this is the pastor at First Baptist, Dan. There was a moment where he was reading and a bunch of people just came up with lights. To make sure that he can read. That's not his church member. Those are our church members. And this last one is just a picture. He's like, can I get a picture with you guys? We've had the best time. And he goes, you guys have made this trip so much, uh, so likable. And it was a blessing to us. We were well represented. And Christ was glorified by the way that we love this world. Will you guys pray? Now it's our job to go out and do this in the toppers line or in the Indian out car line. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. Open up our hearts to worship you right now and celebrate you. If you need a savior, today is the day. Open up your hearts and receive this love so that you can be enabled to love others. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And make me a lover of you and other people. Bless me with your Holy Spirit. So that I may walk with you all the days of my life. I give you my heart and my soul, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.